Welcome to the Cult of Cinema podcast, where we worship horror and genre cinema. Each week we watch and discuss a double feature consisting of one recent and one older or more obscure film. My name is Caitlin. And I'm her lovely co-host, Phil. Today's double feature is The Invisible Man from 2020. And Gaslight from 1944. He said I wasn't any liquor. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. But why? Why? So how are you, Caitlin? I'm pretty well. How about yourself? Pretty good. Keeping it all together in the pandemic. You know, I saw a go-go. <laughs> I love it. Um, we've had fun this week, though, haven't we, with two film events? Yes, despite the fact that the world is coming to an end, there's a abundance, maybe even more than normal, because we can access it online, uh, uh, sort of academic horror content. That's right. Thanks, Zoom. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, have been tuning into Miskatonic's uh, talks. Online classes. Online classes. So they're based in uh, America and... Well, they have factions in, in New York and Los Angeles and London. Yeah. So not Australia. So we usually wouldn't get access to them. But because it's streamed online, we just have to get up at 5 a.m. It's no, no big deal. <laughs> it's no big deal. Don't even worry about it. And we certainly didn't get up at 4 a.m. and then have to wait for an hour because of forgetting daylight savings. No, that oh. definitely wasn't my fault. <laughs> no, um, I think that's daylight savings uh, fault. God. Daylight savings. So pointless. Especially when no one's even working. Like, why does it matter? Yeah. What am I going to do with that extra day, hour of daylight? Oh, I'm going to watch the movies and stuff different than a normal day. I don't know. Yeah. And it, it like straight up murders old people. It's evil. It murders old people? Yeah. I don't know why, but a bunch of people just die around the time where the time changes. Like, just the like, stress of it. I can't be bothered with life anymore having to God, <laughs> I hate daylight figure saving. for an hour. Yeah, it's just massive suicides. No. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's just something to do with stress or something. Wow. But yes. But shouldn't they be excited for an extra hour of daylight? I would be. Maybe they're getting too excited. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the talk that we got this week? So we were lucky enough to listen to a talk by Dr. Xavier Aldana Reyes on Spanish horror cinema, industry, political trauma, and the gothic imaginary. Yeah, it was great. I much just enjoyed it. Huge. See what I did there? Uh, no, I don't get it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I mean, it was probably a little bit tough to take it all in at 5 a.m., but um, definitely our watch list increased. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Reyes was uh, very um, thorough and mm-hmm. um, had great examples of um yeah films that i would love to see yeah so if you've got an opportunity to sign up for some of the miskatonic classes we can definitely recommend it we've done a few now and uh, yeah they've all been excellent they have been um and so thanks to the miskatonic um university um lecture series yeah lecture series and panels and everything it's great um and what was the second thing that we managed to actually uh, attend today, Phil. Yeah, we uh, we tuned in to listen to Annabella, the uh, director and writer and just... All-round all round. auteur. Yeah, the all-round auteur behind The Love Witch and Viva. But they were talking about The Love Witch today uh, as part of a Q&A for Fantastic Film Festival Australia. How did you enjoy it, Phil? It was really good. Um, I wanted more time with her and... yeah. It was good that we got some questions answered, which were pretty cool. Yeah, we, we were some of the only people who actually asked questions, it seemed mm. like. Yeah, I mean, again, it was all on Zoom, so uh, we may not have 
gotten it otherwise. Yeah, it was. Yeah, or, or had to pay money for it. It yeah. was free. Silver lining of the pandemic, I guess. Yeah. So anyone who else who enjoyed that, let us know what you thought of the Q&A. Or if you're enjoying Miskatonic classes like us, mm. hit us up online. Let us know what you're excited for next. I'm really excited for Alexandra Helen Nicholas's upcoming talk on um, masks and horror. Yes. I was so excited that I bought the book. That's right. <laughs> Which is great. Because she wrote the book on it. <laughs> literally. <laughs> It's um, it's a lovely academic tome, uh, and as such, not the easiest thing to read all the time. But yeah, especially really since you read it just going to bed. <laughs> yes, yes, it's not, it's not go to sleep material. It's not an end of the day <laughs> relaxer. No. It's like, well, I don't know. For me, I can't, I can't do that. It's informative, and uh, finally, we have watched a bunch of films, including tonight's double feature, and our first film today is. The Invisible Man from 2020. Adrian? He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then it was controlling when I left the house and eventually what I thought. to be invisible. Released earlier this year, The Invisible Man was written and directed by Melbourne boy Lee Winnell. Woo, go Lee. Woo, Melbourne represent. Starring Elizabeth Moss, 
The Invisible Man is the latest, and very loose, adaptation of the classic H.G. Wells novel of the same name, and serves as the latest installment in Universal Studios' rebooting of their classical monster franchise. Even though it's done by Blumhouse, it's with Universal's Blessing. Um, We're all about it. It's fine. Fantastic. Although I haven't seen the, the newest Mummy, and I don't want to. I want to. Really? The Tom yeah, Cruise Yeah, why not? Mm, I guess so. Did you like the other mummy? Side note. Like the original or? With with Brendan Fraser. That's not the original. <laughs> no, but did and you like it? <laughs> not real. <gasps> no, anyway, so The Invisible Man from 2020 follows Elizabeth Moss character Cecilia Cass. God, so many. This is CK. A CK. I wouldn't know anything about that. No. Caramello Koala. <laughs> Caitlin Koala. <laughs> uh, so we follow Cecilia Cass, who stages an elaborate escape from her abusive and controlling boyfriend, the extremely wealthy optics technology expert, Adrian. I forget his last name. It's not important. After she finds her freedom, she receives word that Adrian has committed suicide and that she will inherit $5 million in $100,000 monthly installments. Silver lining, I guess. Things are finally starting to look up for Cecilia when things start going terribly wrong. Cecilia feels certain that her ex is in fact alive, or that he's at least reaching from beyond the grave to control her. And then eventually that he has faked his death and discovered a way to be invisible. Oh my god, just like the title. <gasps> Terrible things occur around her, isolating her from her friends and family and making everyone believe that she is, in fact, insane. Now, this film is still very fresh and easy to access on Amazon Prime, amongst other places. So this is your opportunity to pause and watch the film if you so wish. From here on in, here be spoilers. Okay. So, Katie, what did you think? Well, I'm a huge Lee Winnell fan, so or I was already on board from the beginning, but um, listening to him chat about what um, the material was going to be really um, yeah, sparked my enthusiasm for it. And I had very high hopes going in because I loved um, Upgrade. Yeah, um, same. And yeah, I can't believe that all of them, all my boxes were ticked. Yeah, I mean, this got a bigger budget than Upgrade. And, but I think the most notable thing about this is that it's a tighter film for me. Okay. Than Upgrade. I think there's some... Story-wise or... Yeah, plot-wise okay. uh, and script-wise. I just think it's a, a tighter tighter product, really. It feels like uh, maybe you had some more eyes on the, on the script editing stage. I'm not sure. Maybe it's just the ev- evolution of a filmmaker. Yeah. And I feel like it's maybe tackling a, a tougher topic as well, so... Yeah, well, hats off. I, I loved it. Yeah, um, it's a film that deals with really dark subject matter, but doesn't feel too exploitative, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I felt like it really captures that experience of being controlled because you're, you're with Elizabeth Moss the whole time. Mm. and it But it does it really sensitively. And as you say, it doesn't feel exploitative. And I... I mean, how do you think they achieve that? Um, I guess it's through really focusing on Elizabeth Moss' character um, and not the abuser in the situation. I think that a lot of 
um, the rape revenge films that don't necessarily connect with me are when um, the audience is posited as having to sit through and or quote unquote enjoy the abuse that's happening and there is never any sense in this that the abuse is cool or that you should enjoy anything that happens yeah that was really cool that he was he wasn't depicted basically in the first 90 percent of the film exactly he's he's invisible he's this blank canvas right and i think it really um pushes its point home especially in the first instance that you see um, her being abused by him when he's invisible mm. um, in the kitchen. Yeah. And that really, for me, thinking about it later, reminded me of the fact that in conversations that we have in society around violence against women being a passive sentence st- structure, we're always positing it as something that's happening to women. Men mm. are never involved. And it's the way that he, literally he's not involved by being not in the, in the scene, not on not seen, not in, on screen, that is showing you a woman being assaulted. Yeah. And it's, it's so much more um, shocking. Yeah. It's all about her and we're with her the whole time. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's uh, really once again, like being seen, not told about it. So like you can hear violence against women and it doesn't really do anything, but you can see it on screen as a woman being assaulted. Yeah. That's going to do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting way of controlling that perspective. Like uh, I also really liked the way that Wanell toys with invisibility and the potential for someone being there on screen or not. It's, it's often quite unclear, but his presence is felt throughout, even if he's not there. And we know he's not there. For instance, he'll, uh, he will use frame, he'll frame shots with enough space for another person to be in the shot. And maybe they are, maybe they're not. Or just a blank, um, a blank um, scene of just mise-en-scene without any, yep. any actor whatsoever, but you feel his presence. And the sound yep. design is really clever with that as well. Exactly. So, and it pr- provides that opportunity to feel like there's this omnipresent controlling threat. And it kind of feels like as we we're talking about host last week, it feels the same way where you are constantly scanning each shot to see yes. what is moving, oh if God, anything yes. is moving. It's It's got the same kind of feel. And this was the last film we saw on the big screen. And I I mean, we, we re-watched it on Blu-ray. And I had the exact same experience of just like my eyes completely peeled, checking to see if there was anything being bumped. Is mm-hmm. there any evidence which I missed the first time. Yeah, and mm. the effect was exactly the same, which is really quite impressive. Yeah, especially since we knew where the scares were coming from. But I still, I, th- I think it's just that score on that sound design that really mm. so- sells all of the um, tension and the scares. Totally. And when you do catch something small happening, you're like, oh man. And it just opens up this possibility that he's just there in the house all the time. Mm. You know, a door opens. Is he leaving? Is he entering? Yeah. That's the one of the worst parts is when there's a door open. And yeah, you're honestly, you're like, should she leave? Should she stay in the house? What's happening? It's so tense. <laughs> so tense. But without, as you say, sort of lapsing into exploitation. Like we were on this journey with her and she's just isolated. Mm. And you can feel it. It makes, you know, without too many spoilers, it makes the ending all the more satisfying. Yeah. I just want to say, point out that I think one of the other reasons it really works is that you never see like, quote unquote, the zippers 
of the monster suit. So mm. it's used enough that you get a sense of what's happening, but not so much that you become bored or um, disillusioned or desensitized to the scares of when you are able to see um, the Invisible Man in his invisible suit. Yeah, when it's glitching, when it's yeah. been damaged or... The CGI works really well and yep. it's not overdone. And I think Lee knows knows to yeah. <laughs> less is more in these kind of situations. Absolutely. And like, if, I mean, though, if there's anything that won't age that well, it will be some of the CGI, but it's minimal. So you kind of just go with it. Exactly. Yeah. I also really liked the little nods to the 1933 Claude Rains costume. At one point, she wakes up after being photographed in bed and she didn't know she was being photographed, which is super creepy. Uh, and there's a mannequin and it's got the hat and the cloak and it's just there. And it's like a little, it's one of the very few jump scares in the film. Mm. And it's, it's just a nice, a nice little touch. And there's another scene where they're in a hospital and there's a guy covered in bandages and it's yeah. just these like, like little winks. But you know, and they if don't dominate anything. And if yeah, if you don't know, then it won't really ruin or yeah, act. exactly. It's just like a little, little fan service. Lee Winnell knows what he's doing. And how did you feel it compared to the the classic Universal Claude Rains nineteen thirty three horror film? Well, when we watched that originally, I had quite low expectations. I mm. thought, how like it's just going to be a guy and a bunch of um, gauze, really, and <laughs> and. It actually really blew my mind because a lot of the in-camera effects and special effects still hold up today. Oh, for sure. And creeped me out. The double exposure stuff where they just erased. It's creepy. It's really cool. It's really cool. Um, I think that I enjoyed um, the nods, like you're saying. And and, and in terms of if it holds up to it, I think it's just a very different film. It's using um, a similar character. Yeah, but I just don't think it's it's the same universe or the same or reimagining. It's 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 own film. Definitely, and I think that the the biggest difference for me was the fact again that we're with Elizabeth Moss. The monster is not the focus. Yeah, unlike if you've seen um, Hollow Man, the Kevin Bacon film, which is I have not yet. Yeah, it's which is kind of I would say more of a spiritual sequel to the original Invisible Man yep. in the way that you're focused on the protagonist slash antagonist who is yeah the lead character um and the madness that happens and um all the power that comes with it and instead um seeing the invisible man from a purely villainous um perspective was an amazing idea and it really sells it as a as a brand new concept and it would have been really tasteless i think to have him as because i mean there's some sort of cool factor about the claude reigns thing even though he's a He's the most vicious of the monsters. He kills so many people. Like he, do you, listeners, do you know how many people he kills in the yeah, original Invisible Man? It's well over 120 people because he kills an entire train full of people. It's insane. <laughs> and like, I mean, it, but both of them really lean into the the threat. It's not that he's disgusting. No. It's not that he's visually horrifying. It's not that he, he makes you feel like scared. It's the potential it's what he it's the potential for for mal- malicious actions that he represents. Yes. It's like he couldn't completely ruin your life and everyone won't believe you. Mm. In the newest one in in the original universal film. He's on he, a rampage. <laughs> he he can de- derail trains, he can set off bombs like 
it's really a different kind of focus. Yeah, it's um, community focused rather than individual focused. Yeah, and also in The Invisible Man 2020, he's a threat. He's not the protagonist at any point. No. Until the very end, we basically don't even see his face. Mm. And even then, it's like, I don't know, you don't, not for very long. He's no. not important. He's only the bookend to the film. Yeah. Anyway, I really liked it. I actually would go so far as to say, <clears throat> excuse me, that it's a, a modern masterpiece of horror set- well, cinema. Well, there you go. You've heard it here, folks. Uh, it really worked for me. Um, I know some people don't agree, but what did you think? Uh, I think it's probably my favorite film of 2020 so far. I don't think there's a film that's um, that's been made in 2020 that I have enjoyed more. And I, if I had to pick things and pick it apart and really gritty, nitty, picky at it, that'd be minuscule things I would change, if any. Absolutely. All right. Shall and we? maybe we can now talk about a film that is its spiritual predecessor. I would say so. And that is Gaslight from 1944. It was written two days before she was murdered. Where did you find that? In this score, she must have left it here. It's written by somebody called Sergius Bauer. Give it to me. He said I wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. But why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh. wonderful. And oh. you thought I was being cruel to you. <laughs> Keeping no, people away not from cruel. You, making you a prisoner. <laughs> oh, you're the kindest man in the world. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, I could have pitied and protected you. Because I am mad, I hate you. Because I'm mad, I betrayed you. And because I am mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret. Watching you go with glory in my heart. Gaslight, 1944, directed by George Cucco, stars Ingrid Bergman as Paula, who is taken to Italy after the murder of her opera singing aunt. Once there, she falls in love with Gregory, played by Charles Boyer, who whisks her back to London so they can live in the house she has inherited from said aunt. Her new husband, overly protective and thoughtful at first, seems to have nefarious plans in mind. Strange going-ons around the house, missing paintings, strange footsteps in the night, and gas lamps that turned dim without having been touched, make Paula start to question her sanity, and the audience comes to find that Charles has a secret he will keep hidden at all costs. This is a film that has a star-studded cast, including uh, Barbara Everest as Elizabeth, the deaf housekeeper, Angela Lansbury as Nancy in one of her first on-screen roles, 
and uh, also a nosy neighbor played by May Whitty <laughs> and the law enforcement slash white knight Brian played by Joseph Cotton. Of Citizen Kane and the Third Man fame. Correct. Uh, I'm sure our listeners have heard the term gaslighting before, and this is the film that coined it. So in short, if you're not sure about it, it's a manipulator trying to get someone or some people to question their own reality, memory, or perceptions. And this is exactly what Gregory does to Paula. Yeah, in order to isolate and control her. That's right. There might be a similarity in themes here. (gasps) Is there? (laughs) Um, What did you think of Gaslight on your first watch, Phil? It was interesting because I'd had this film hyped. How hyped? Um, what do you mean? Like very high hyped? Like this oh, is a right. classic that you must watch or was it more like this is a great film that must have coined a term, therefore it's something you should watch? Or? Yeah, that. And I, I really enjoyed it. I found it interesting. I think initially I was a little bit disappointed that the focus was more on Gregory's uh, desire for the jewels. I think we can talk spoilers here for a film from 1944. (laughs) And it's more about his greed and the abuse, the actual gaslighting is very much secondary to that. It's the means to the the end. But then I thought about it more and it really gets most of the screen time and it probably was sort of inserted by stealth. If you think about it, in 1944, you don't really... I mean, there's not a huge desire to talk about... Domestic domestic abuse. Domestic abuse and, like, manipulation and mental health, right? Exactly. So it's... I don't know. I came to appreciate that more, even though the actual plot is a little bit humdrum. No, it's a mystery. I, I, I was there for it. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of... It was... Playing a little bit like a Hitchcockian thriller. Mm-hmm. Like you know the bad guy and you know what he's doing. And then it's just sort of, it, it waits to be seen what's, what's the purpose. Like what's the... Yeah, it's a suspense film. You know, yeah. you know what's up at the start. You know who the villain is, the protagonist is. Yeah. And you want to know the villain's ultimate goal. But then there was a mystery component. But like really the most interesting part was, was the interaction between him and Paula. I don't know. What, what did you think? I really enjoyed uh, the performances. I thought Ingrid Bowen was great. And yeah. side note, she won the Academy Award and the um, Golden Globe for Best Actress. For no, this? For this. Oh, wow. Well, she was wonderful. She was wonderful. Um, and she, usually when I see her on screen, she's a strong, independent lady. And it was really nice to see her playing against type in this um, like victim role, basically, in a yeah. swooning, am I going slowly insane from being gaslit by my husband but the was, whole time she, she's role. fully in love with him and yeah. and really yeah didn't play it for um melodrama she played the the seriousness of the situation and i was with her 110 percent. totally yeah I th- it was a very serious script i think it was based on a play yes it was based on yeah. a play and it feels like a play like it's very much contained to the house and you know a few extra places, but it's very much like a. But that makes makes for the um, the claustrophobia. Oh, totally, totally, totally. It is interesting. I th- I think that the gaslighting itself isn't one of the ways he's manipulating it. 
it's actually Incident- incidentally manipulating her. Yeah, like he he has been stealing things and then blaming her for losing them. Yep. And making it out like she's moving things but doesn't remember it. Like it's much more about questioning her sanity, her memory, re- and her memory with mm-hmm. regards to you know those things. Whereas the gaslight is actually just evidence that he's up in the attic. Yeah, and the footsteps she hears. Yeah. Overhead, and she thinks those are Which hallucinations. Side note, side note: Why doesn't she go check? I mean, just in just in case there's like a robber up there or something, or like tell yeah. one of the staff members. I mean, she does probably ask one of the maids, but as we've established, she's deaf. So. Yeah, which was a, a fun choice, really. So the the deaf maid's the trustworthy one, and the other one, the younger maid, is there solely to make her jealous. Yes, Angela Lansbury in her first on screen role at seventeen. Seventeen as a as a maid with um, easy morals, loose morals. <laughs> um. Yeah, and she's purely there so that Gregory can flirt with her and then uh, make it out like Paula's imagining things. And yes. Yeah, she's just there to be leverage for that. All of the character actors who are the supporting cast were really um, just enriched the film, I felt. They really mm. populated it well, and the casting was, yeah, top-notch. I especially liked... Um, the nosy old neighbor played by May Whitty, who was kind of the comedic... Yeah, the comic relief. Comic relief. I thought it was very 1944 that Brian, the white knight, was the, the person who solved the situation. I think in contrast with Invisible Man, where Elizabeth Moss... Elizabeth Moss. I don't know why I'm struggling with that. Today. <laughs> she has to figure it out. She has to undo the knots yeah and they both have both the women in these films have a um, male um, law enforcement sidekick if you think about it very true yeah if anything rather than the invisible man yeah it feels like gaslight is the film that informed the most recent invisible man i uh i mean well how did you feel like these films differed in their characterization of the abused and the abuser. Uh, I felt that the character arcs of the uh, victims was um, very different yeah. in the way that um, they ended up. So in Gaslight, uh, Paula manages to um, – turn the tables on her abuser by um, going along with his story and pretending she doesn't remember where she's left the knife and drops it and he's like, cut me free, cut me free. Her little revenge. Yeah, and that's her little revenge. And I mean, most of of me was like, stab him. But But that wasn't wasn't her nature. That wasn't in her nature. She's way more passive. Whereas, super spoiler alert, um, Cecilia's down to get bloody revenge. Yeah. She really does do the stabbing. In fact, the fact that they both end with a knife scene, interesting, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that someone close to them, a family member, was murdered in the pursuit of... um, The desired thing. The desired goal for Mm. the antagonist was um, also very closely aligned. I found it really interesting that in The Invisible Man, the Invisible Man is faceless basically until the very end, which was... You know, very intentional. It's so we can project onto this canvas. He's just this, you know, faceless, invisible threat, and it takes the focus away from him. Uh, but in Gaslight, 
he's very present. He's he is the charismatic man about society. He's powerful. People people uh, accept him as as a uh, law abiding. His word is gospel. If he says that she's not feeling well and mentally not all there, they're going to take his word over hers. Absolutely. And, I mean, they're both very um, powerful men in that regard, although one has wealth and one's coveting wealth. Correct. Which was interesting. Yeah. I also found it interesting how uh, one of the main times that it becomes very um, uncomfortable for the audience is when the women's – mental um acuity is taken into account and like questioned in Mm. public so in gaslight it's when um paula's in the concert yeah in the concert hall and and she starts acting out as if um she's She's having a break she's having a, a mental breakdown in front of everyone and the same thing happens to cecilia when she's um taken into the um hospital and she's thrashing around and saying he's here he's in the room yeah same thing it's and because they're not privy to the fact that there is actually a person in an invisible suit it sounds insane it does and that's the thing both of these uh, are very like insular in the way that it's kept mostly within the, the protagonist's head that maybe she isn't all there and maybe she has to question herself like even cecilia questions herself because so many people don't believe her yeah. that um although far less than paula correct paula pretty much accepts what gregory says whereas in the invisible man elizabeth moth's cecilia God, i don't know why i'm struggling with these names <laughs> but she she keeps pushing back. Everyone's like, no, that sounds, that sounds ridiculous. You know, what is, there's not such thing as an invisible man. Like how could he, he's dead. And she just keeps on saying, you don't know him. You don't understand. You, you didn't get to experience what I experienced. He, he's, this is what he does. That mm-hmm. was her refrain. This is what he does. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think we're correct in saying this is definitely the spiritual sequel mm. rather than the original invisible man. And like, which did you think felt more realistic in their depictions of manipulation and abuse? I think both of them were realistic. I just think yeah. that they were different types of um, abusive behavior. And like, in if you've read um, uh, "Look What They Made Me Do," which is a book um, has come out recently from an Australian author about. Um, these kinds of domestic abuse, mm-hmm. um, they highlight the fact that it's not just violence. It's, that's why it's not short called domestic violence anymore. It's it's types of coercive control. So yeah. it's it's talking, it's gaslighting, it's um, questioning, making women question their sanity, undercutting and, your confidence. Exactly, and yeah. um, things that can start off like in gaslight, seeming like oh he's just overprotective, oh he's just looking out for me are actually ways of taking away con- control out of, over their own lives. And a key component is that they are isolated from any other support. Exactly. Any people who could listen who might question it. Yeah, and in Gaslight, that's in the way that he takes her away from where she's set herself up in Italy back to London and isolates her in the house. And yep. then with um, The Invisible Man, he writes that vicious email to her sister and then... Um, makes it look like she's slapped the um, teenager that she's staying in a room with so that her father 
thinks that she's trust her. acting and she's going to act out. Yeah. And, and then eventually it gets more violent exactly. so that she's ultimately isolated in an asylum. 100%. criminal asylum, yeah. So <clears throat> I thought it was interesting that even though Gaslight isn't supernatural, the motivations of the husband are, are way more fanciful. I mean, he's after famous royal jewels on an opera dress. He could have just asked her. <laughs> well, like, she, she, she wouldn't have known. She didn't no. know about the jewels. They were, they were secret. But like, that's why he wanted the house, because he suspected they were upstairs somewhere. And that's why he, spoiler alert, killed the aunt. Whereas, and it, you know, royal jewels is a pretty classic story device. It doesn't feel very realistic. Whereas, even though it was science fiction, the possessing someone wanting them obsessing over someone that's all very realistic stuff Mm. so i found that way more compelling Mm. and scary yeah i also liked the way in which when they were both um confined to the house whether it be gaslight where she's being held by him or invisible man where cecilia is holding herself inside the house becomes quite gothic in tone in both of them Mm. where they these footsteps that they're hearing or things that they're seeing out of the corner of their eye could be potentially ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of overlap with ghosts. There's a lot of overlap between the films. I mean, as we've said, they both deal with psychology of abuse and isolation, of invisibility, either of the abuser or the abusee, you know, when they're isolated, and sanity and questioning sanity. Definitely. They both center around wealthy people. Yes, they do. Which I thought was interesting. Either people who are already in society but they want more wealth or or you know the wealthy preying on someone else Mm, definitely um they both deal with obsession and desires that can cause people to become abusive and like in some sort of i don't know basic archetypical way they both deal with an innocent blonde lady being preyed upon by a tall dark handsome man of means (laughs) yes they do uh, who has like social power? Yes, social standing that will make him immune from any um, and all actions that he takes against her. And he's outwardly, you know, everything that people think a woman wants like wealthy, attractive, urbane, charming. intelligent, charming. Like he's, he's like the, I mean, he's basically what you get from romance novels. Yeah. Slightly older, intelligent, rich guy, sensitive, right? 100%. Outwardly. And then inside, either inside the house or behind the mask or whatever, there's something else there. There's something going on, definitely. So it's kind of like the the archetype of innocence, the sort of virginal blonde. Yeah, the virginal blonde white woman. <laughs> and then the, the sort of perverted Jekyll and Hyde almost. Yeah, that's another thing that um, people don't often chat about is is that this, this archetype in the past used to be like the romance like he's the um mr rochester from jane eyre like has two different sides to him yeah might have a wife living in an attic who knows like could like a blue beard almost yeah it's the whole duality of man thing that was really popular and in gothic imagining but what does it say about women are we just one note that <laughs> can't tell the difference <laughs> or have we been spun a lie that we're happy to um go well, on to and live the dream until we're snatched up by marriage and can't get away. <laughs> well, I guess the question is, like for Elizabeth Moth's character, 
was she so passive or I feel like she got caught by someone with a lot of power. Yes. And like she couldn't have known. You can't know. Oh, of course until not. Until you're done. Until you're trapped. Um, maybe Paula's character was a little bit more credulous and sort of fell for things a little bit too easily. I mean, she got swept up in a two-week... Two-week romance. Romance that became marriage. And then somehow he convinced her to move back to the scene of her... Aunt's basically demise. her mother figure's <laughs> death. So, like, maybe there were some alarm bells. Some red flags popping up now and again. Yeah. But still, there is something about, you know, the, the virginal passive blonde thing going on there that I don't know, maybe that's a critique of the invisible man but personally I felt like he they handled it pretty well I agree yeah and with that that concludes today's sermon if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a five-star rating or review we really value feedback as we improve the podcast uh, if you've noticed from previous episodes we've added a little bit of a news segment um, but let us know if you've got any ideas that let us know if you've got any ideas about what you'd like to hear. You can reach out and let us know via our email address and or our Twitter handle. Both are in the show notes. If you'd like to hang out with a cool online community of film fans, check out the Cult of Cinema podcast discussion group on Facebook or tweet at us. Oh, yeah. And with that, until next time, all, all hail, hail cinema. cinema.